said last week, um, last Sunday and, f- and Friday and this Sunday, I will be looking just at Romans chapter 5. Today I want to bring this to a close, back to Romans chapter 5. <coughs> don't want to spend too much time here. I want to make sure you all are able to get out and be in the front of the line at Hibachi Grill. All right, so. (laughs) I want to, if you will bear with me, again, even though Today I will be focusing on verses 1 through 5. Um, I'm going to start by reading the whole chapter of Romans chapter 5, right? And um, as I said before, um, I started at the end of the chapter and worked my way to the beginning, all right? So we started last Sunday with verses 12 through 21. And then on uh, Friday, we looked at verses 6 through 11, and today we will focus primarily on verses 1 through 5. Um, but in order for us to, 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 Paul is having one whole argument in this passage, and I want to make sure that we um, get his point uh, when we see that. And uh, in order to do that, I want us to look at the entire chapter as in our reading today. Verse 1 reads, Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, verse 12, Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come. But the free grace is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. 
For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's obedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we thank you again for allowing us an opportunity to come and to fellowship with one another, to worship you, and to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would uh, give us understanding of all things. I pray as Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified that you would sanctify us through your word because your word is truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that we are in a stable safe relationship and that there is no judgment and no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus name. Amen. <coughs> I began this passage in Romans uh, talking about verses 12 through 21. And in order for us to really get and understand what Paul is saying, because I believe he's building his argument um, actually in reverse, right? Um, starting in verse one. But in order for us to get and understand Paul's point, we have to recognize Paul's viewpoint on sin. Paul here in verses 12 through 21 is setting up a, a, a parallel scenario between Adam and between Jesus. He starts off by saying that in verse 12, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And so the Bible teaches that in Adam, God viewed all mankind. Adam and Eve was the leader, just like we talk about our federal government, where our, we have representatives that go to Washington and they represent us as a nation. The Bible sees that Adam is what we call theologically our federal head. He represented us there in the garden before the Lord so that when Adam sinned, he caused judgment for us all. We talked about this before in Bible study, how when Adam sinned, there were things that were imputed to us, right? Imputed means the things were placed on our account. And so the Bible says that Adam's sin, right, the guilt of his sin, the corruption of his sin, we're all tainted by sin because of Adam. And because of that, we all stand under God's judgment. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we are children of wrath just like everyone else. And sometimes it is difficult for us to um, understand or even accept what the Bible says. I used this illustration when I was in elementary school, and one day uh, they had a, a, a science group come to, the, to our classroom, and, and so they, they had this machine that, that created static electricity. And so they had all of us hold hands, and as we held hands, 
and they, they, they touched the machine and immediately everyone holding hand received the shock. Okay, right. That is the way that we are with Adam. Because of our connection, our union with Adam, when Adam sinned, it produces sin and condemnation and judgment for us all. Paul goes on to say that the same is true for Jesus. That because Jesus is the second Adam, as Paul, as, as Paul understands him in, Ephes- in, um, in Romans chapter 5 here, that when Jesus died on the cross, when he was buried and when he was resurrected, right, all of those who are united to Jesus by faith, Jesus' death is their death. God counts their, his death as our death. Jesus' burial was our burial, and Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. Okay, and we, if we were to take our time to go to Romans chapter 6, Paul really explains this whole, this whole understanding. We're not going to do that today. So, in Adam... We are all sinners. And in Christ, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, God no longer sees us as sinners because the righteousness of Christ, just like Adam's sin was put on our account, Jesus' righteousness has been put on our account, and Jesus took our sin and nailed it to the cross. Paul takes this time to explain all of these things because if we do not want Adam's sin imputed to us, then we are in desperate need of a Savior, which we can't have one if we don't want imputation, right? (laughs) That it falls on our backs to pay for our own sins. And if we are to pay for our own sins, I know that sometimes we think that we can do enough good deeds to get ourselves into heaven. But if we are to pay for our own sins, it will take eternity in hell for each one of us to pay it off. And so God instead came up with another plan. We saw this as we looked in in Romans chapter five, verses six through 11. Now, God's plan is not like our plan, right? Paul begins by saying that uh, for a good man, some people might even dare to die, right? Um, I've, I've had uh, the experience of having some close relationships with, uh, with some men in the church, and, and, um, and some people are like, wherever you go, let me know, you know, because I, 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 I fight for you, I take a bullet for you, I protect you, pastor, right? And so, um, they would dare to die because they see me as a good man, okay? But the question is, who would die for their enemy? Who, who, who would die for their enemy? And, and when I said who, I see some people like, <laughs> I see you already thinking about the scenarios, right? Right, that person, when I said that, each one of us had a picture, someone's face popped up in our minds, Okay. And some of us, we couldn't hope, like, right? I, I see some people's faces looking like, mm-mm, right? Some of us just, just keep looking forward, right? But all of us were like, 
Mm-mm. Just like that Shannon Sharp meme. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> it's counterintuitive to think about dying for someone who has hurt you so deeply. Someone who has done everything to destroy you that so much so that you count them as your enemy. You will not stand to die for them. And yet, Paul says in verse 8 that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, we can think about verse 10, when we were his enemies, Christ died for us. See, when we come to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we think that Jesus died for our mistakes. Uh, just tell a white lie every now and then. You know, April the 15th, I just fudged the numbers a little. Okay. <laughs> but the truth is that all of us, before coming to know Jesus, we hated God. He was our enemy because we were at war. He wants to assert his kingly rule over us, and just like Adam and Eve, we don't want it. We want to determine for ourselves what is right, and so we're God's enemies. And even in that state, Jesus died for us. You think about what Jesus said on the cross. The first thing that came out of Jesus' mouth, now, I, don't, I know that this would not have been the first thing that came out of my mouth. <laughs> but the first thing Jesus thinks about is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I could think of some other F words that might have come out my mouth, but, <laughs> but forgive would not have been one of them. Okay. You're not going to hang me on the cross. If I have the power, I'm like, <laughs> like Kevin Hart, get fire on him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that, that, that's just me. Okay. But God's love is so great that even for his enemies, he's willing to die. Now, I think that this is something that is easy for us to kind of accept, right? That um, God is perfect. He's not like us. And so God can die for his enemies. And yet, we kind of isolate that just to getting saved, the moment we put our faith and trust in Christ, right? And we don't keep this idea of God's love going through the rest of our lives. So what we have a tendency to do is we think of Jesus, God's love, in terms of getting us saved, but then after salvation, we feel that we have to work hard enough to be good enough for God to love us. We think about all of our sin and our failures just since we've put our trust in Christ. And sometimes we allow those, the guilt and the shame of that sin in our lives to keep us away from God. I was talking to a, a friend of mine I've, I've known for about 20 years, about three weeks ago, and we were uh, talking because he called me and he wanted to talk about 
um, uh, some problems that he was he was having. And um, so as we're, we're talking, right, um, the, the problems, the decisions that he made, the choices he made destroyed his marriage. But in the, in the seven years since these things, these events have taken place, right, he has, he has changed. He's tried to make things right, even though he couldn't save the marriage, right? He has been working to, to try to prove to his ex-wife that, you know, that he's a changed person, right? And yet, she just turns around as a weapon, just keeps beating him over the head over it. And, and so he, he's struggling, he's wrestling. And, and so I asked him the two questions. Number one, have you forgiven yourself? And after a minute of thinking, he said, no, I, no, I, I, I haven't forgiven myself. And so I said, well, do you think God has forgiven you? And he said, I don't think he can. You see, my friend, even though he is a Christian, he still needs the gospel. The gospel says that when you were his enemy, he died for you. And if he died for you, we'll see this in a, in a minute, we'll go look at Romans chapter 8, that if he was willing to die for you as his enemy, how much more now that you are his son or daughter, how much more will he freely give you all things? So the same grace and love and forgiveness that is able to take all of your sins on the cross, that same grace is available to us as Christians every single time we sin. But for some reason, we don't keep it before our minds. Listen, I want us to look at Romans chapter 8. Again, I want to jump to that because I think that this is what's in Paul's mind when he is finishing up verses 9 through 11, but he expands on this when he gets to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Listen to what Paul says. I'm going to read this, and then I'm gonna, we don't want to take all of this thinking over into Romans chapter, back into Romans chapter 5. Listen to what Paul says. I'm not going to read all of Romans chapter 8. But it's important that when we get to verse 1, right, Paul says, therefore, right? In, in, in chapter 6, he talks about how we have died with Christ, and therefore Christ is working to help us to live a sanctified and holy life. Romans chapter 7 Paul is talking about the struggles that he has as a Christian, how he tries to do the right things, and yet he continues to fail. And even though he keeps trying to do the right things, but he fails, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation. There's no punishment. There's no judgment. There is no danger of you being punished or sent to hell by God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, no matter how bad you blow it or mess up or suffer the consequences of your poor decisions, 
In Christ, there's no judgment. Only love and grace. He skipped down, skip down with me, to verse 28. I'll start reading from there. And this is what Paul's conclusion of this whole discussion here is. He says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Right? Right. The people who know your past. I remember when. I remember when I, when I, when I first I became a minister. And uh, one of my friends I grew up with was like, man, you serious? I remember we used to call you 80 proof. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, that was back in the day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. But, but people will bring things up to you. But who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things co to come, nor heights, nor death, nor any other created thing, and that includes your sin. There is nothing that shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because I know in this room, there are people who are struggling with a lot of things. Some of us are, are, are still beating ourselves up with past decisions and past choices. Some because we're still feeling the effects of our past decisions and past choices. And for some reason, sometimes when we go through these things, we start to question whether or not God really loves us. Sometimes we question if God is really for us. Right. I, I was <laughs> recently talking to someone who said, you know, all of these things have started to go wrong all at the same time. And God must be punishing me for something I did wrong. And and I, I, I'm trying to reassure this person that God is not a tit-for-tat God. When God sets his love on you, 
no matter what you do, no matter how many mistakes that you make, no matter how bad you fall, he will always love you. If I were to take the time out, I'm not going to do it. I'll make sure y'all get out early today. All right. <laughs> and go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, right? Paul says, you have been accepted in the beloved. Right? He, he has accepted you. He has embraced you. And when he brings you in, the Bible says that he will in no way cast you away. He says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 says that he will spank you sometimes. Okay. And he will spank every single child that he loves. Okay. But that's because he wants you to stop doing the things that's bad for you. So he allows these consequences to come. But he loves you. And I want you to see Paul's point here in Romans chapter 5 is that you are in a safe and secure relationship that will not change. I know this is something that a lot of times we struggle with right? because we are taught that our relationships have to be mutual. That if you bring your stuff to the table and I bring my stuff to the table, we good. And when you stop bringing your stuff to the table, you know, I'm going to give you like three warnings. And then after the third warning, right, I'm going to go my way, you go your way. God is not like that. Here, Paul is trying to teach us that we are in the most safe and stable relationship that we could ever imagine. Now, listen to what he says again, verses 1 through 5. Take a few minutes, and then I'm going to be done. I promised you that last week I wouldn't keep you long. He says... Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, all of us, well, not all of us, there's people that, that's a lot younger than me <laughs> in here, but many of us grew up um, when O.J. Simpson was on trial, and O.J. Simpson is on trial, and many of us remember Johnny um, Cochran's favorite phrase, like, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. I remember being at uh, my teacher, I don't know why he would have us sitting in class at, in the 10th grade watching the trials. I'm like, shouldn't we be learning? <laughs> but, you know, but that, that's not, neither here nor there, right? But I, I, I remember watching the trial and, and, and learning these things. And, and one of the things that I learned at this point in the 10th grade was once they gave him that not guilty verdict, it didn't matter what he did. He could never be tried again. He could literally come out like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> now he'd be stupid, right? But there's no double jeopardy. I think that this is what Paul is trying to teach us here. Because when he says that we have been justified by faith, the word simply means God has declared you to be righteous, even though you have sinned. 
He knows that you have sinned. He knows that you have done the right thing, but he has taken the righteousness of Christ and put it on your account. You are declared righteous. You are no longer guilty. You cannot be punished for your sin. And because you have been justified by faith, not by doing your own works, helping little ladies across the street, although you should, that won't get you into heaven, okay? You have been justified by faith in Jesus. Therefore, you have peace with God. Now, I know there's some people in this room that, that are wondering, how can I make things right with God? You don't have to. That was done for you. That was done on the cross for you. And all you have to do is put your trust in Jesus, and you now have peace with God. And this peace is not a peace that goes away, right? He says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, not going to be too technical, but here the Greek word here for stand is in the perfect tense. That means that it happens once and forever, that once you step into this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have peace with God, and that peace will last forever. You're no longer at war with God. You're no longer his enemy. He has accepted you as his son and as his daughter. And from that point on, you are at peace with him. Even though you still sin, because remember, we, we haven't gotten to Romans 6 and 7 yet, where Paul says he still struggles even though he struggles, he knows that he is secure because God will never throw him away. And even though he goes on to talk about these things, this viewpoint that he has on this relationship with God radically changes his viewpoint on life. He goes on to talk about even after having this type of relationship with God, he doesn't say like we pro wrongly promise people, if you come to Jesus, you'll never have a rainy day again. He'll make everything beautiful and right in your life. He'll give you that BMW and a nice house and a job and all of the money. And people come to Christ for that. And then they get smacked by the devil. They're like, Wait a minute. I thought everything was supposed to be a bed of roses. Paul doesn't say that. He goes on to talk about how you will have tribulation. You will still suffer pain in this life, but because we have this type of relationship with Christ, we recognize that the tribulation and pain and trials of life, they are being used by God to make you better. He says, and not only that, he says that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We will be glorified when we die, right? We will share God's glory. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. Listen, Paul is trying to say here, 
that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just good enough to get you into heaven. When you go through trials of life, when you go through pain in life, when you go through suffering in life, you have to keep bringing your thoughts back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And recognize that Jesus suffered, right? But on the other side of his suffering, he was victorious, and he has set that example for you. We see that in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He has set us an example that we can follow, knowing that God will not save us from all persecution or suffering or trials, right? We see these these bombs that have gone off in churches around the world killing Christians today. But guess what? They have hope for all of them that, that died in those bombings today. They have now been glorified. Amen. They're experiencing life in a way that we have not been able to experience it yet. <coughs> these tribulations in life are used to make us better if we perceive them correctly. And that is because we are in the most stable relationship that is possible. Now, I want to end this passage of, of um, in this, right, we've, I've taken my time out to these last uh, three services, Sunday, Friday, and then today, um, to kind of talk about... Um, just this one passage of scripture. And um, the reason that I took the time to, um, I, I, I did it br- very quickly today, didn't really touch on many of these things, um, the, the things that I could have touched on. Um, but the reason that I spent my time in this passage of scripture is because too frequently, right, we as Christians struggle with uh, what I, I usually call spiritual low self-esteem. <laughs> and that is because we continue to deal with guilt and shame that we don't have to deal with. All of us have a past. Some of us, t- well, all of us have a present too. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> We all have a, have a present, too, okay? And yet, none of those things will ever change the fact that God loves you. God is that father that is, is always waiting with his arms open, right? Now, all of us who have children, we, we know what this is like. We, we call our children, and, and then they kind of hide, and they don't want to come. That's when you know they've done something wrong, <laughs> right? But we don't have to hide from God like that. God is the, the father in the, the story of the prodigal son. When the son went away, right, every single day, the father is standing out on the steps. He's looking. He's waiting for his child to come back home. But the son didn't come because of guilt and shame until the pain got bad enough. Right. 
Hebrews chapter 4 says that we can come boldly to his throne of grace to ask for grace and help in our time of need. We should never allow guilt, shame, pain, or anything to keep us from our Father. Our Father loves us. And if you need assurance that our Father loves us, Paul says in the passage that we just read that God demonstrated his love for you by sending his son to die for you. And if he was willing to do that for you, there is nothing that he will withhold from you. And my prayer as we have come through, each year I try to take a different emphasis or angle to look at uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Um, but for, for some reason, I think that I've been getting a lot of, talking to a lot of people that are struggling with their emotions right now. And um, we need the gospel every single day. God's grace is enough. Remember, we looked at Romans chapter 5, verse 21, where sin abounds, right? His grace superabounds. There is no sin or mistake that you can make that his grace will not cover. Don't beat yourselves up. If he has forgiven you, you can forgive yourself. And don't hold yourself on the hook for something that he says he has taken and thrown into, metaphorically, into a sea of forgetfulness, and he will hold it against you no more. And my prayer is that as we celebrate uh, Easter this year, that we will be reminded of the gospel, not just at this time, not just on days when we take communion, but every single day we wake up, we start to think about the implications of the gospel in our lives. And I think that that would help us to feel better about ourselves, knowing that because God loves us, no matter what we've done, we are free. Let's pray. We, Lord, we thank you for allowing us this time to come and to look at your word. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us in this room today because at different times in our lives, Lord, we struggle with different things. Sometimes, Lord, as your word says, the enemy, the devil, who is the accuser of the brethren, he allows uh, sends people to remind us of our past or the mistakes or the failures that we make. Sometimes as we live with the consequences of our decisions, Lord, we feel that there's no way that you can love us. I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of the passage that we looked at on Friday in Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul talks about your love, how deep and how wide and how high your love is, and that we should that he prays that the people would know the love of Christ. And then he says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything we ask or think, 
Lord, I believe Paul put that there because for some of us, we struggle with feeling loved. Maybe because of the relationship that we had with parents or, or, or with a, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a mother, a father, or a husband, or a wife. We struggle with feeling loved, and we even believe that you can't even love us. Help us to keep going back to the truth of Scripture that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly above what we ask or think. You can love us no matter how we see ourselves. And it is all because you sent your son to die for us so that you could wash away all of our sin, our guilt, and our shame. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to think of the gospel just in terms of getting into heaven, would help us to see the gospel in terms of our mental health, our emotional health, our relational health. Help us to apply the gospel to every single area of our lives so that we can see ourselves as you see us, so that we can live as your sons and daughters here on earth, knowing that there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ. We thank you now for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.